So if you would, turn with me uh, there in your copy of Scripture to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, that's the Gospel of John. He's the, the fourth Gospel writer. And we're going to look at just the first nine verses here. Notice these words this morning. A very brief resurrection account, but nonetheless powerful. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. When it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Interesting, by the way, that each of the four gospel writers mentioned the stone rolled away. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John, by the way, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple, again, that's John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I, I love that little detail, by the way. Don't you? It's like, you know, of all the scripture, he's like, yeah, I mean, we were both running to the tomb, but like, I actually, you know, beat him there. <laughs> I love that. And stooping to look in, uh, this is verse 5, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Jesus, thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Your word is powerful It is living, and the same Spirit that breathed it into existence through the apostles and prophets breathes into us even today. If we would but inhale by faith today your very Spirit, right in our home, right here in this house of worship, oh Lord, would we be able to to breathe the breath of life this morning. Give us that breath, oh God, we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. We live in dark days. The boys and I recently watched The Hobbit, all all three uh, movies of The Hobbit. And I was so reminded of how the shadow of Mordor begins to fall upon Middle Earth, even in The Hobbit, but not, not so heavy as it does in Lord of the Rings. You remember the it seems in Lord of the Rings, the whole earth, even the Shire, which is supposed to represent this, this uh, kind of hometown country living, you know, rural living and, uh, and greenery and what have you. I mean, you can't get any better than that New Zealand island, right? You know, and they, they represent it there as the Shire. And, and it's like, yes, even there, darkness has fallen. And we live in dark days. We do, in fact. And, and with the, the pandemic that we're in, It has become dark economically. It has become uh, the shadow we have felt even even maybe emotionally, psychologically. We're living in uh, really what what may be even seen as almost the the edge of the abyss itself. Um, 
And, you know, this is not unusual. Uh, you know, there's not really been ever any, there's never been a, a, a hundred year gap within history where something tragic has not occurred. Uh, this world is fallen. This world is, is dark in many ways. And the shadow of the enemy lies at our door. But the Bible uh, is also not unfamiliar with dark times. You remember in the Old Testament, and this is one of our readings this, uh, this morning, it deals with the Exodus. Because even in the Exodus, the shadow of death, the death angel will pass over Israel in Egypt as long as they have what? And that is the blood of the Lamb on their doorpost. And so the Bible speaks to not a fanciful reality. Some people, some people say, oh yeah, people of faith, you know, they're, they're just looking for something and, and it's a psychological hope that transfers into mythology. And da, da, da. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not, you're mistaking that with another kind of faith. This faith is a historical faith. This faith happened in both space and time. And so this morning, I want to sh- say this, that it's darkest always before dawn. And I think that if we're living in dark days, that means when the light does shine, it's going to be all the more beautiful. And we've already experienced some of that this morning. And so if it's dark in your life right now, if it's dark in your family, if it's, if it's, if it's troubled times, troubled waters, so to speak, then look up because the king is coming. And he will come to you and he can calm the storm in you. He can, he can bring light to your darkness. You see, because here's the thing. Resurrection is kind of like not a new idea. It's interesting. Mythology always has dying and rising gods. So sometimes, you know, sometimes we think in terms of, like, oh yeah, that, the resurrection is the key difference than any other religion. And it is. But you have to kind of put an asterisk beside that and really define what you mean. Because in, in, in the myths, there's always these dying and rising gods. Namely, they're crop gods, right? So, so the crop god, he always dies in the winter. You know, just like your grass turned brown. And probably right now, your grass like mine, unless you have a bunch of weeds that's already green. Mine is just now coming back to life, you know. So I've got this kind of brown and, and green look to my yard. And so, so ancient people said, oh yeah, <clears throat> you know. The, the, the crop god, he dies, and then we have to mourn for him to bring him back in the springtime. And so people say, oh yeah, well see, right, right there. Christianity is just like all the other religions because they have a dying and rising God that is continually happening. Not only that, resurrection is also seen in, in our movies today. So like ancient times, yes, we, you, know, you see resurrection being talked about. But also in modern times, you see it being talked about. I just listed a couple here of my favorite, Neo, right? Which means new, okay? So Neo, okay? And, and that's the Matrix, by the way. And so he, he gets all shot up by Agent Smith. And then guess what happens? He gets up. And you're like, yeah! You know, I mean, if you, well, if you're like me, you're like, yeah! You know, and I'm just rooting for, for Neo, you know, to, to destroy the Matrix and all that kind of stuff. And so he gets back up. Same thing with Harry Potter, if you remember from the, from the movies of Harry Potter. He dies at the hand of the evil one, the faceless one. And then guess what happens in the arms of that giant? He wakes up, right? And he overcomes evil. How? 
by love. It was actually the love of his mother. It's fascinating. Think of, think of Lord of the Rings, maybe. Maybe that's more along your lines, right? And, and if not, it should be, okay? Thank you for that amen. <laughs> I was looking for a, cor- uh, a car horn, you know? Bum, 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 because that's, what we were say- that's how we were saying amen earlier. Uh, but think of Gandalf, right? He fights this Balrog, which is this demon, and he, and he smites him on the, on the mountaintop, finally, and then passes out into worlds unknown, into death itself, the netherworld, the underworld. And by the way, the ancient peoples were always scared of the underworld. There was heaven, there was earth where we are now, and then there was the underworld. And if you ever went down there, you kind of never came back up. And there's all kind of myths and all kind of stories and all kind of movies that deal with losing a friend and trying to search for them in the underworld. And and the result is always the same, and that is not going to find them. It's not going to happen. I could could track you through all of those myths. You know, we could talk about movies for days. Here's the point. There's something in us that longs for resurrection. We may not even understand it, but when we see it on the big screen, when we read it in the myths, when we hear it in the stories, when we see it coming to life around us in our grass and in our trees, we say, yes, yes, life is coming back. When the the rays of the sun are breaking through the clouds, there's something in us that identifies with that. And, And so in these dark days in which we live, I think the message of Easter, the idea of resurrection is more needed now than ever before. And yet, and yet, <laughs> here's the good news of Christianity particularly. Because you can kind of get some good news from nature and stories and movies. But here's the message, the Christian message of Easter, and that is... Easter is not just a message. Easter is not just an idea. Resurrection is not some theological doctrine. Instead, resurrection, friend, is a person. This idea is connected and tethered to a person. The message that we like and that moves us in our inner parts, that message is embodied in a messenger. That is the good news of Easter. That is the particular Christian understanding of resurrection. One cannot untether the person of Jesus Christ from resurrection. So, So you say, okay, well what's going on in all the myths and stuff? I think what's going on in the myths is is just this simple fact. God himself has told the greatest story. And if you're ever to tell a story that's going to sell or that people are going to watch, then you have to connect your story to the story of reality itself. And that is Jesus Christ, a Jewish man in the first century, was executed by the Romans under Pontius Pilate. We have archaeological evidence of Pontius Pilate. We know who the Romans were. Everybody knows who the Romans were. Everybody knows they were good at killing people. And yet, he was buried and sealed away, never to come to light again. And the tomb was opened, the stone was rolled away, and they were confused about what was going on, and then they met the risen Lord himself. And notice, it wasn't some idea that they met. 
It wasn't some message floating around in some ephemeral form. Rather, it was the bodily resurrected Lord. He was able to say to Thomas, wasn't he? See here. Touch there. Wasn't he? He said, give me some fish. And he ate it in front of them. And yet he passed through a wall. (laughs) What a say. You say, what's going on there? I'll tell you what's going on there. Heaven and earth become one in Jesus Christ. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Who marries those two together is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. In His body. You see, here's the uniqueness of Christianity. The Lord doesn't die and rise with the grass. He doesn't die and rise every winter and spring. This, friend, is once for all. You see, it happens not in myth, which is... By the way, myth always happens in in what we call continuity or or a continual sort of schema. Just like the seasons. Just like the day, right? The sun comes up, it goes down. It comes up, it goes down. It comes up, it goes... For, for eternity, as far as all we know. But not this event. Not a, histor- a historical event happens in a particular time, in a particular place, with a particular person. That is our uniqueness. Is that in the person of Jesus Christ... He has taken on for us and for us all our sin, our shame, what was due punishment to us. He has taken it on himself as the innocent lamb. For you remember what John says, right? John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus the first time, he says what? Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, Jesus took on the sins of the world for us. He did this in our place. And so he becomes the first fruits of all that God wants to do now in his world. Because see, once you have this particular person, this particular space and time, Jesus Christ, and this particular event, which is the resurrection... Everything changes. Nothing now is the same. Now, it may look the same, but nothing now is the same because now heaven and earth have become one in one person who is the person of Jesus Christ. He has come down to save us. This is what we believe as Christians is that, that Jesus uh, has, has embodied what God has already been doing in the world from the garden to a different garden. Think about this. We start in a garden, don't we? The Garden of Eden. And it's in that garden that we betray the Lord. We betray God. We take of the, uh, the forbidden fruit and we eat it. We try to define reality. We join the serpent in being condemned. We join the serpent in being condemned to death. And death enters our world and sin. And then everything begins to spiral out of, out of, out of control, really. They begin to hide. They're arguing among each other. But guess who comes looking for them? It's God. God does. Where are you is the question. 
Where, it's the first question that we, that we come to. Where are you? And of course they're hiding. They're in shame. They've realized their nakedness. I think the Lord might be just walking in the garden of our life this morning saying, where are you? Are you living in shame? Are you exposed? Has this virus exposed you to who you really are? Because sometimes we can fool ourselves, can't we? We think, oh yeah, I'm a pretty nice person until we get cooped up in a house for weeks on end. Oh yeah, I trust God with my money until no money's coming in. Sometimes our situation exposes who we really are and we see that we're naked and we're ashamed. But friend, let me tell you something. (laughs) It is Easter Sunday and there is no need to remain hidden. We can come out of hiding. He has a place for us. We don't have to remain in our condemnation and our guilt and our shame. No, he has come down after us. I remember reading one of my first uh, theological books in seminary. And I came across these two words. You know how sometimes just in, uh, in some of your, I mean, you, know, you learn a lot, you read a lot and all this kind of stuff in life, but some things just stick out and kind of stick with you more than others. You know what I mean? You just have these, these terms that, that really shaped something in your life. And I, and I came across these two terms I'd never heard in my life, and it's because it was a different language. <laughs> um, and, and it was catabasis and anabasis. Catabasis means the descent. It's a theological understanding that, that God came down to us. We didn't go up to God. That's, that's the unique, you know, that's another unique thing about Christianity is we're not trying to climb a ladder to get to God. He's always coming down to us. He's always knocking on our door. It's, it's really a, a fantastic distinction between us and all the other religions uh, of the world. But catabasis means his descent down to us. And you know, don't we even say that in the creed, right? He, de, he what? He descended to even the dead. You know, some, some Protestant uh, you know, groups are too scared to even say that, even though it's biblical. It's absolutely biblical. He tells, doesn't he, the, the thief beside him on the cross, he says, where will I meet you? Paradise. Everybody knew where paradise was. It's the place of the dead. But it's the comforted side of the place of the dead. Not the tormented side. You see, Jesus, notice this, notice this. Jesus, being human, died as we die. If you cut him, he bled. He died as we die. And he went where we go, at least at that time, when you died. Which was the place of the dead. That's where everybody went. It was called Sheol. Others called it Hades, had a comforted side, had a tormented side. And without going into a full theological explanation of those things, suffice it to say, he descended all the way to the place of the dead. Notice again, the underworld. Didn't even, didn't even prophesy this. He said, just as Jonah, right, was in the belly of the fish for three days, so too will the Son of Man beware in the heart of the earth. And what does he mean by that? He means the underworld. He means the underworld. And he went down, and guess what? He came back out victorious, leading captivity. Those who were captive, he led them to freedom. 
You see, Jesus makes this huge descent all the way down. Down to being human, down to the Jordan to be baptized, down to death itself. And then he begins his ascent. Catabasis, anabasis. And you know what it forms? It forms a big V, doesn't it? Because then guess what he does? He resurrects. He comes out of the tomb. He meets with his disciples. And then he ascends to the Father's right hand. He descended. He ascended. And that forms a big V. A V because Jesus is the victor. He has gained the victory over everything, friend, on hev- in heaven and on earth and under the earth. <laughs> he is risen, which means bondage now turns to freedom. The valley, now we can be transported to the mountaintop. Darkness turns to light. Those sleeping are awakened. Those stuck in winter all of a sudden begin to see the rays of sunlight of the spring. You know, it's funny, in Dante's Inferno, I was just reading this again uh, yesterday. <clears throat> in Dante's Inferno, he has all, uh, nine levels of hell as he's going down, right? He's just kind of circling around. Uh, he gets down to the very bottom of hell. Just, I mean, just, I mean, this is the bottom of the bottom of far, bottomless pit, so to speak. This is the abyss itself. And what he finds there is Satan, the devil. And, you know, we, we oftentimes think he's got like, you know, this, this pitchfork or trident or whatever. And, and he's like got these flames he's shooting out at people. No, no, the way Dante pictures the devil is actually stuck up to his breast in ice. <laughs> he's just stuck in ice. And, and, and he has the wings of a bat, interestingly coronavirus anybody you know devil and he's got this these bat wings and every time he tries to get out he flaps him and it gets colder in there which only freezes him more so he's in this continual cycle of being frozen you know that's exactly what sin does to us isn't it keeps us stuck keeps us in this cold-hearted reality and every time we try to get up ourselves, guess what? We only add to our frozenness. And what we need, what we need is somebody to go down there like Jesus and rescue us. And let me tell you something, friend. I, it doesn't matter what kind of, if you're in the ninth level of hell today, if you're in the abyss, whatever kind of demon you're fighting in your life, let me say to you now, That has no power in the name of Jesus. That has no power in the name of Jesus. No, he has conquered. He is victorious over death, hell, and the grave. He has overcome. And it is only in him that we can overcome. It is only in him that shame can become glory. That cursing can become blessing. That divorce can become marriage. Because you see, in Genesis 3, there was a great divorce. A divorce from us and God. But now, in Jesus Christ, there is a coming together 
a marriage. And that is why he is the groom and we are the bride. And we just need to say this morning on this Easter resurrection morning, we need to say yes to him. He is proposing marriage to us. We, our response today is to say yes, Lord. He is risen. Do you believe this? If so, let's live like it today. Let us say with our very lives, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let us begin to live in that kingdom reality that he really is the king of kings. And he really is the Lord of lords. Which means he's king over your health. He is king over your finances. He is king over the world. He is reigning and he is the true king that will be revealed one day when he throws off the veil that covers us now and he breaks open that eastern sky that we were looking to this morning as the sun rose, that same eastern sky, he's going to break into and it's all going to be over. That's why at the end of the Bible we say this, Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Are you ready to say that? Are you able to say that? Or is there great fear associated with his coming? Let me tell you something. What better day, what better hour than to get right with God now? To be ready for his coming. To be longing for a day that he inaugurates. And he's already inaugurated it. It'll be finalized and consummated at the end of time where there, listen to this, where there will never be another pandemic. There'll, there'll never be another funeral. There'll never be depression. There'll never be anxiety. If that's not something to praise God about, I really don't know what gets you going. Let me tell you, Jesus, he is risen. He is risen indeed, and he wants to be your Lord. That's why Easter, it's not, a, it's not good enough for Easter to be an idea. It's not even good enough for you personally that Jesus himself is the resurrection life if he is not your Lord. He must be your Lord. He must bring life to your dead body. He must bring life to your cold heart. And he can. And he can. And he will. If we would say yes, if we would call out to him today, he is is more than ready to forgive. He is more than ready to come in and make his home with us. Are you living in his kingdom? Are you living for his kingdom? If not, what better day, what better hour than to say yes to the risen Lord? Say yes to him. Go to him. He is so gracious and merciful to accept us and bring Easter home. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.